Hello and welcome to the Poet Prophetic Podcast. Here is the next instalment of the Gourmet Gospel, starting at section 5. Enjoy! Section 5. The Law of the Spirit of Life Quotes The reason angels fly is that they take themselves lightly. Malachi McCourt The distinction between the general abstract formulation of moral law and the living, personal, concrete manifestation of God's will in our lives is one of the most fundamental truths of Christianity, for it is the distinction between the letter which kills and the spirit which gives life. Thomas Merton The brain may devise laws for the blood, but a hot temper leaps o'er a cold decree. Shakespeare, The Merchant of Venice You're going to get someone killed! The man yelled at me through his car window. Yet I was obeying the speed limit on this stretch of motorway. Here was the problem. A flashing sign read 20 mph, and I, during this especially legalistic phase of my life, was going to stick to this speed limit because I was righteous. Yet the weather was fine. The road conditions were normal. There was no construction going on, no restriction of lane space, and no accident had occurred to warrant excessive caution. So the apparent speed restriction had no basis in reality. The normal speed limit on British motorways is 70 miles per hour. Yet here I was conforming to a ridiculous and dangerous restriction so that a long line of cars soon built up behind me. It was then that the man managed to overtake me and deliver his fitting rebuke. Another way of describing the inner law, the law in our hearts, is as the law of the spirit of life, the law that gives freedom, or the new way of the spirit. It is this law that sets us free from the external law, the law of sin and death. Even the world understands this important distinction when it talks of following the spirit of a law rather than the letter of the law, and when it acknowledges, echoing the Gospel of Mark, that the law was made for man, not man for the law. See also the laws of men below. In the above example, I was conforming to the law of sin and death instead of the much safer law of the spirit of life. Laws about speed limits are created in a spirit that aims to protect life, but in this case, the letter of the law was endangering life. The law of sin and death held me to 20 mph, but the law of the spirit of life yelled, Speed up! You're going to get someone killed! Of course, an opposite scenario may occur. When the law of sin and death permits driving at dangerous speeds in icy or foggy conditions, when the law of the spirit of life recommends slowing down. Another example comes from my aunt's driving test in England, during which a goose suddenly stepped out in front of her car, forcing her to decide instantly whether to make an emergency stop. Now, emergency stops are deemed necessary for dogs and livestock in English legal precedent, but smaller animals, including waterfowl, are considered expendable. 
Yet my aunt certainly didn't want to run the poor thing over, even though to do so would accord with the law of sin and death. So I looked in the mirror to make sure there was no one behind me and made sure the examiner saw me do this, she recounts. Then I stopped. Not only did she pass the test, but earn the examiner's praise. I'm so glad you stopped for that goose, he said. Confounding the Crippled Covenant Quotes The only true law is that which leads to freedom. Richard Bach, Jonathan Livingston Seagull When people criticise comedians and artists for swearing, it makes me furious because they're just colours. It's like saying you shouldn't paint in black. No, you use it all. Tim Minchin, Comedian, The Verb, on BBC Radio 3, October 2018. To do a great right, do a little wrong. Shakespeare, The Merchant of Venice. The spirit of life is now the reigning force in our lives. Like Moses' staff thrown down to become a snake, the rod of law has been replaced by something supple and flexible, full of wisdom and healing, a heart of flesh on which God's will is inscribed. We too, like Christ, are lords over law, beyond its reproach. What subject can give sentence on his king? To quote Shakespeare, Time and again in Jesus' ministry, law and its proponents protested his utter disregard for them, as he moved in word and deed according to the spirit of life. For example, he healed on the Sabbath, and to demonstrate that human need always trumps religious regulation, quoted the Old Testament precedent in which David and his companions, when hungry and in need, entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. Jesus lied. Quotes, Never let the truth interfere with a good story. Richie Rodriguez All of the poems are true, if not accurate. Bodan Piasecki, poet, on BBC's The Verb, October 2017 Great-hearted lie! What truth could ever make a finer claim to be so beautiful? Toccato Tasso Jerusalem Delivered When Jesus' brothers derisively suggest he go to the Feast of Tabernacles in Judea to make a name for himself, he says he is not going. Later, however, he does go in secret. A legalistic view would condemn him for lying about this, but the spirit of life applauds the artifice. As Charles Dickens writes, There are some falsehoods on which men mount as on bright wings towards heaven. There are some truths, wherein your worldly scholars are very apt and punctual, which bind men down to earth with leaden chains. One particularly bright falsehood from the Old Testament comes in the life of Naaman, commander of Aram's armies, who acknowledges, after Elisha has healed him of leprosy, that there is... No God in all the world except in Israel. But among his official duties, 
he must accompany his master, the king of Aram, to the temple of a foreign god. So Naaman asks Elisha, When my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm and I bow down there also, when I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. How does Elisha respond? He could have said, I thought you told me there was no God in all the world except in Israel. Why do you now participate in wicked idol worship? Take a stand, be absolute in your faith, and hang the consequences. But no, Elisha does not say this. Naaman's heart was for God. Naaman knew it. Elisha knew it. God knew it. That was all that mattered. The empty gesture of making a bow in the temple of Rimmon meant nothing. For Naaman to have defied his king over this triviality could have lost him his place, maybe even his life, in a pointless sacrifice that did nothing to advance the kingdom of heaven. So, what does Elisha say? Go in peace. Flouting the Fifth Quotes The fifth commandment is Humour thy mother and father. Biblical blooper made by a Sunday school student. And if your father and mother throw themselves in front of you, you will step over their backs if you must to get to Christ. William Gurnall As we have seen, the Ten Commandments are law. They were crucified with Christ and the fifth commandment to honour one's parents is no exception. Even before that law was announced, Scripture informed us a man will leave his father and mother, and the Old Testament cites several examples where people of faith openly defied their parents in order to honour God. Gideon tore down his father's idolatrous symbols. Jonathan openly criticised the foolish orders issued by his father Saul to Israel's army, and along with his sister Michal, thwarted Saul's efforts to kill his best friend David, and King Asa deposed his own grandmother for her idolatry. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, we learn that God is the father of those whose earthly parents have forsaken them, of sons who do not follow in the wicked ways of their fathers, of daughters called on to forget their people or their father's house, of those whose families have betrayed them. Then, in the New Testament, Jesus tells his disciples not to call anyone on earth Father, for you have one Father, and he is in heaven. He warns that a man's enemies will be the members of his own household, that a prophet's chief detractors will be his own relatives, and he promises eternal reward for those who must cut family ties. Jesus also takes disciples James and John from their family business tells others to forgo family formalities to follow him, downplays the importance of his own mother, and shuns her and his brothers as they label him insane. All this came, of course, after the twelve-year-old Jesus had taken a field trip with neither parental permission nor notification. I hope these observations will uplift brothers and sisters who, in order to remain true to the Spirit of God in them, have become black sheep in their families of origin. Divine Divorce Quotes 
a marriage should be dissolvable as soon as it becomes a cruelty to either of the parties, being then essentially and morally no marriage. Thomas Hardy, Postscript to Jude the Obscure I had never thought out fully what marriage meant. I am certain one ought to be allowed to undo what one had done so ignorantly. Thomas Hardy, Jude the Obscure The marriage ceremony declares, What God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. But when a marriage descends into unrelenting misery, it may be man who is trying to keep together what God would put asunder. John Milton understood this when he advocated divorce on the grounds of incompatibility. He argued, as paraphrased by Scott Elledge, that people freed from the bondage of the canon law could be guided by the rule of charity. It is another way of saying that the way of love sets us free from a law gluing marriages in despair. In Henrik Ibsen's play, Ghosts, the character of Pastor Manders may be understood as personifying law. We learn that some nineteen years earlier, he had steered Mrs. Alving back to the path of duty by overruling her inclination to run away from a domineering husband. But now she tells Manders, When you force me to obey what you call my conscience and my duty, when you hailed as right and noble what my whole soul rebelled against as false and ugly, that's when I started to analyse your teachings, that's when I first started to think, and one day I saw quite clearly that all you stand for, all that you preach, is artificial and dead. There's no life or truth in it. Alas, the church remains populated with pastors enjoining people to remain in unhappy marriages, and worse, telling wives to submit to their husbands. Based on a narrow and narrow-minded reading of Ephesians 5.22, irrespective of how much suffering that may bring. I once used this most misdirected of scriptures when, in a group therapy exercise, I posed as a hard-hearted pastor talking to his congregant Jill, who had been mistreated by her husband. Then I followed up with that other ill-directed biblical instruction to turn the other cheek. Her response was not just a shining example of the Spirit's wit and wisdom, but a metaphor and model for others to use when clumsy abuse of Scripture is imposed. For when I told her to turn the other cheek, she turned around and presented her backside to me, inspired and funny stuff. Besides, we need to note that when Paul calls on wives to submit, it's in the context of a man who loves his wife as Christ loves the church. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Something no mortal can fully manage, but being compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love would be a good start. In Jill's case, the pastor I was channeling had told her, God is more interested in your submission to your husband than he is in your happiness. So, here's my message to him. Do you have the tape of God saying this? Did you ascend to heaven and receive this divine oracle in person? Do you presume to speak for God? 
Or are you sowing torment in the life of your sister, abusing the Lamb of God, slandering the Creator, and spewing blasphemy? The idea of a tyrannical husband trying to hinder his wife's flight to a better place is the very illustration Paul uses to describe how the law behaves. See spiritual adultery above. Mr. Law seeks to impose an authority he does not have, gives instructions but no help, never admits to being wrong, and is incapable of imparting life, yet he demands a binding relationship even beyond his death. Healthy Hedonism Quote, Yes, there was to be, as Lord Henry had prophesied, a new hedonism that was to recreate life and to save it from that harsh, uncomely puritanism that is having in our day its curious revival of the asceticism that deadens the senses as of the vulgar profligacy that dulls them, it was to know nothing, but it was to teach man to concentrate himself upon the moments of a life that is itself but a moment. Oscar Wilde the Picture of Dorian Gray Perhaps the best advice I ever received came from a Christian friend in London. Observing the weight of spiritual oppression I was under at the time, much of it engendered by the church I was attending, he recommended I live like an atheist for a while. By this he meant enjoying life, meeting friends, wasting time, not worrying about fitting in prayer, worship, or Bible study, and certainly not worrying about being righteous, for Christ had already conferred that on me for all time, and I could neither add to it nor subtract from it. Living by the Spirit, we are free to follow our heart's desires. We instinctively know our true course. We have no regard for the law of sin and death, let alone its advocates in church, society, family, business or government. The pressures, precedents and expectations of the world mean nothing to us now. We are fruitful vines, no longer choked by the thorns of legalistic obligation. Simply by being who we are, we are empowered to produce an abundant harvest of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. We, members of the royal household for eternity, are like Shakespeare's King Henry V, who persuades the blushing French princess Catherine to yield him a kiss, though she has just told him it is not the fashion to do so. We are the makers of manners, Kate, he replies, and the liberty that follows our places stops the mouth of all fine faults, as I will do yours. With that, their lips touch. Let us also, therefore, living lives of love with kisses of our own, tune out the protests of law. Let us embrace the freedom Oscar Wilde envisaged when he wrote, I believe that if one man were to live out his life fully and completely, were to give form to every feeling, expression to every thought, reality to every dream. I believe that the world would gain such a fresh impulse of joy. But the bravest man among us is afraid of himself. The mutilation of the savage has its tragic survival in the self-denial that mars our lives. 
we are punished for our refusals. Every impulse that we strive to strangle broods in the mind and poisons us. Discipline Quote, So every scope, by the immoderate use, turns to restraint. Shakespeare, Measure for Measure Freedom from law does not mean knee-jerk disobedience of it, for actions thus motivated are as enslaved to the law as those seeking to obey it, in a sense making law out of being anti-law. Rather, it means law simply has no relevance, no reach into our lives. There is no pull toward obedience nor repulsion toward disobedience. By mere coincidence, we may act in accordance with it or not, but it provides no reference point. Nor does freedom from law mean we abandon all structure or discipline, for God is a God of order, not confusion. But evaluate the suitability of any discipline according to whether it originates in love and leads us in the Spirit's path of peace and joy. For God wooed me to a spacious place. He didn't whip me there, and we are only truly impelled by love not law. Much less does freedom from law suggest we become injurious of ourselves or others. Paul notes that, though everything is permissible, not everything is beneficial. We still seek creative and loving acts, as the indwelling Spirit of God so leads, and still seek healthy outcomes. Nor is it burdensome to care for our body, as Christ cares for the Church, nor to shun measures that treat the body harshly. After all, God, who made us in his image, is not served by a sacrifice that does violence to the body. You've been listening to my audiobook recording of The Gourmet Gospel, and I'll continue releasing the book in installments over the coming months. The e-book is currently free at most retailers, and you can find the links to get your copy by going to my website, poetprophet.com, where prophet spelt P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Before I go, here's the latest from my Verses Verses Empire series. Till death do us part. On the US-sponsored bombing of a Yemen wedding in which the bride was killed. She should have shed her blood in innocence. A little death embraced to cherish life. Lie down in bliss to rise with morning's joy. A bride in blessing, new baptized a wife. But none could stem the flow of blood that day, A bombshell wedding gift brought its surprise. No marriage bed took up her dying fall, And from her lying down she did not rise. Her jasmine garlands, white as snow, That should have lent their fragrance to a nuptial hour, Now carnal pleasures turned to carnage, Must confer funereal rites, a red-stained flower. The drummer's dexterous fingers, too, that should have danced upon delighting skin, are strewn 
where willing hands confetti would have thrown to lie with limbs of dancers lately hewn. The dogs that should have stolen tidbits from the festive tables find a feast instead of human flesh and human blood to lick, leftovers where the beast of empire fed. Coated in dust, crippled near corpses crawl over their fallen kin in foreign lands. Such is the terrorism that's unleashed when Britain and America join hands. Thank you.